Today, though, the um, Finance Committee and Stewardship Committee asked me to preach about stewardship in this week leading up to our, our big program. And often when the pastor preaches about stewardship, it can become what one of my seminary professors called the dreaded sermon on the amount. <laughs> Too often in the church when we talk about stewardship, we talk about our congregation's need for funds, but that's not really what stewardship's about, though our church certainly does need funds. The practice of stewardship is a spiritual practice, and that's what I hope to dig into together today. It's a spiritual practice of gratitude and generosity in responding to God's love and grace. To do this, we're going to turn to the Psalms, which uh, appropriately after our beautiful anthem is the church's original hymnal. Friends, I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 98th Psalm, beginning with the first verse. O sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him victory. He has revealed his vindication in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of the melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who live in it. Let the floods clap their hands, let the hills sing together for joy. At the presence of the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Friends, this is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. Well, friends, I have something to admit to you this morning. I was at an embarrassingly older age when I first realized that I had an accent. Growing up in the upper Midwest, I thought that myself and, and everyone around me had no accent. I was completely unaware of the long vowel sounds that folks from the upper Midwest, and there are a few of us in here, Jeff and, and Don, yeah. <laughs> the way we draw out vowel sounds like mom, or instead of soda, say pop. Um, the, the very kind of long nasally vowel sounds. It wasn't until I spent more time in the South and other parts of the country that I realized that each region had its own accent. And then the longer I've lived in the South as an adult, the longer I've realized that different parts of the South or even within the same state have different uh, slight variations of the same accent. It's funny now how, how relative accents are because when I go uh, back to Michigan where I was raised, and, and lived as a child. My friends there think I have a southern accent, and my southern friends think I still have an upper Midwest accent. But if you ask any linguist, they'll tell you that accents are like belly buttons. Everyone has one. I was reminded of accents this week when I was looking again at a wonderful article by Charles Wiley 
who is the former Associate Director of Theology, Worship, and Education in the Presbyterian Mission Agency in Louisville. Instead of accents in language, though, Wiley reflects on accents of the Christian faith. How different Christian traditions have each made their own contribution or developed their own accent on our shared faith in Christ. I, I, I think it's a beautiful image and a really nice way to appreciate the different traditions within the Christian family. Perhaps our Methodist friends down the street can claim the accent of John Wesley and his famous phrase of having his heart strangely warmed to God's love. Our Episcopalian friends uh, down the street over that way might uh, talk about their accent of the beauty of their liturgy and the power of ritual as expressed in their Book of Common Prayer. Our Baptist friends, quite literally next door to us, might claim the accent of believer baptism and the power in one's choice to follow Christ. I could go on and on with this, but really, friends, the reason I bring this up is that Wiley, in this article, claims that the accent of the Reformed tradition, of our Presbyterian heritage, our Presbyterian church, our accent is grace and gratitude. We acknowledge first and foremost that God's grace comes first. It, God always makes the first move. God reaches out to us in Christ first, forgiving our sins and calling us beloved children of God. God's action always comes first. God's action of grace always takes the first step. This is what scholars call, and if you want a $10 word for it, you could call it prevenient grace. Or in other words, that God reaches out to us in love before we can do or say anything on our own to earn or deserve it. This idea of grace is illustrated beautifully, I think, in words that you hear me say every time we baptize a baby that uh, I've kind of adapted from a, a liturgy from the French Reformed Church. Hear these words again. For you, little one, the Spirit of God moved over the waters at creation, and the Lord God made covenants with his people it was for you that the word of God became flesh and lived among us full of grace and truth. For you, little one, Jesus even suffered death, crying out at the end, it is finished. For you, Christ triumphed over death, rose in newness of life, and ascended to rule over all. All of this was done for you, little one, but you don't know any of this yet. But we... We will continue to tell you this good news until it becomes your own. And so the promise of the gospel is fulfilled. We love because God first loved us. That is what God's prevenient grace looks like, loving us before we could ever love God back. God's action of grace always precedes anything we can do ourselves. This is why we baptize babies, because God chooses us and loves us as children of God before we can even comprehend who God is, much less have faith in this God. The appropriate response to such grace is gratitude, a sense of thankfulness for all that God has done. 
Theologian Karl Barth says that to believe in Jesus Christ means to become thankful. This is because belief in Jesus Christ assumes that God has acted graciously toward us. All we can do then is to live lives of gratitude and thankfulness in return. Bart says that grace and gratitude belong together like heaven and earth. Grace evokes gratitude like the voice of an echo. Gratitude follows grace like thunder follows lightning. This is our tradition's accent on the Christian faith. God has reached out to us in grace, and so we respond by trying our best to live lives of gratitude. It's simple. It's powerful. The, Christian, or the Presbyterians are by and large rhythmically challenged, myself included. It even has a beautiful rhythm to it. Can you hear it? God acts, we respond. God acts, we respond. Our, acts, our, our accent here, friends, assumes that we cannot do a thing to either earn or to lose this love and grace because it precedes our response of thankfulness. The scripture lesson I read illustrates this pattern of grace and gratitude beautifully. If you flip open your Bible to anywhere in the Psalms, to any of the 150 Psalms, I'm willing to guess that no matter which one you turn to, you'll find some evidence of this pattern. God's gracious action, our grateful response. Even the Psalms where the writer is furious with God or questioning God's goodness, even in these, they recall back to the various times God delivered their ancestors provided them with what they needed, or showed unconditional love to them. In Psalm 98, God's gracious action is delivering the people of Israel in victory of a military battle. The psalmist's response is to praise God, making a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth, breaking forth into joyous song and sing praises with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. The psalmist even summons the earth and the sea to roar and rumble in praise for what God has done in their midst. So even from the very beginning of God's people, there has been this pattern of God's gracious action, our grateful response. God's action always precedes our gratefulness, our response. A grateful heart, then, is the reason why we do good things as Christians. We cannot earn God's love. Jesus has already covered that for us. We know we can't lose God's love. So all we can do is to respond with gratitude for all God has done for us. Think about that for a minute. To claim anything otherwise means that everything we have is earned. As such, we might claim that we don't even need God. The flip side of that is perhaps we don't even need each other. What does the world look like without grace and gratitude? Chaos, greed, entitlement, sure. But also sadness and division separation from each other. 
Unfortunately, friends, these are all realities that we know far too well in the world in which we live today. Be, be clear, though, friends. In a broken and divided world, I think that gratitude is our Christian superpower as disciples. Gratitude allows us to reframe the world from seeing everything as mine and yours to instead see everything that we have as a gift from God. Gratitude allows us to reframe, to see everyone around us not as an enemy or as competition, but to see them as a child of God and a beloved sibling in Christ. Now, throughout our history, Presbyterians have talked about this pattern of grace and gratitude early and often. It's even the name of, uh, of one of our Sunday school curriculums of our denomination. But I think we often overlook the common form our gratitude for God's graciousness takes as Presbyterians. And the common form our gratitude can take is in generosity. Generosity, I think, is the Presbyterian accent on gratitude. It's the form our gratitude, our gracious response to God's love, it's, it's the form that it takes. A survey a few years ago of Presbyterians from across the country found that 94% of church givers give regularly to their congregation. And the average annual gift to, the, to their congregation falls in just a little under $5,000. Presbyterians are generous folks, among the most generous financially of any faith tradition. As I said earlier, churches have, for generations have done a disservice during stewardship season. We ask for pledges to keep the lights on, to pay salaries, to mow the yard, and so on. All these things are true, of course, but they're not the reason why we give. The reason we give as Christians is in gratitude for God's gracious love in Christ. This gratitude takes the form of generosity and gives us an opportunity to participate in the inbreaking of God's kingdom on earth. You know, even if we had all the funds we could ever need to fund and sustain the ministries of WPC, um, indefinitely, we'd still have a stewardship program every year. Because in the end, it's not about the budget. It's not about keeping the lights on. It's about committing ourselves anew to our calling to respond to God's grace and love with gratitude and generosity. So whether you've never made a pledge before or have tithe that is given 10% of your income for years, there is room for each of us to grow in our journeys of gratitude and generosity. Continuing to grow in the spiritual work reminds us that God and not money is in control of our lives. That everything we have is indeed a gift from God to be cherished, to be cared for, and also to be shared generously for God's glory and honor. Now, friends, our bank accounts certainly aren't the only way that we can practice generosity. We can give freely of ourselves, of our time and our talents. In gratitude to God, we are called to live generous lives where we give of our time, our talents, of our very selves, as well as our treasure for God's glory. The question then becomes, friends, 
how can we continue to grow? How can we continue to live more grateful and generous lives in response to God's love, grace, and acceptance of us as children of God? This, friends, is the flow of the Christian life. It's not just our accent on the faith. It is the Christian accent. Grace, gratitude, generosity. I think the Presbyterian Church's brief statement of faith ends with words that I think sums this up perfectly in a theological way. And we'll close with these words, friends. In gratitude to God, empowered by the Spirit, we strive to serve Christ in our daily tasks and to live holy and joyful lives, even as we watch for God's new heaven and new earth, praying, Come, Lord Jesus! Friends in Christ, as we prepare to make financial commitments to our congregation next Sunday, may this reflection be an opportunity to commit ourselves anew to respond to God's grace, God's love and acceptance of us just as we are with gratitude and generosity. Amen.